Welcome back, guys. This is the Commander's Vault, our 10th episode. I'm Trevor. I'm Adam. I'm JB. And I'm Dale. And tonight we're going to do something a little different for you guys. Um, we've been mulling over this idea for quite some time. We want to do a top five debate. Uh, tonight we're going to start with top five creatures in EDH. So what we've done is we've all come up with our own top five lists that we think are the best creatures in EDH and we're going to kind of sit here and debate and then come up with a master list for you guys and uh, be sure to stay tuned to the end of the episode for tonight's uh, giveaway phrase uh, we'll have that for you guys at the end of the episode yeah right so let's uh let's kick it off I mean I know I know Dale's list is super biased uh, I mean I'm my list is kind of more from an old head perspective uh uh, I know you guys have some, you know, some good, some good cards on your lists, and I'm excited to hear you defend them. Um, I'll will start off, I guess. If sure. That's cool. Yeah, I don't care. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, my my top five. I uh, coming from somebody who has been playing Commander for you know a decade or so, a little bit more. Um, my number one. Well, let's start with number five. That's yeah, yeah, more thematically appropriate, yeah. right? So. You know, my, my bottom four are in no real particular order, but I do I do believe that, uh, like, Vorinclex is my number five, I would say. Um, I say that I say this because it's the value of the creature in the colors that it's in. Color, you know, green. So it's an... Just a... It's a monster. It's a 7-6 with Trample. And it has the mana buff effect. So you double your mana. And the stun effect... I think is the most interesting and the reason why I put it on my list because uh, green can get so out of hand, but sometimes other colors can claw their way back in through advantage and like uh, taking extra turns. Mm -hmm. um, and I say Vorinclex kind of gives green that ability because the mana stun ability makes it so that it's essentially time walking past your opponents in value. Yeah. Uh, he's relatively easy to get out if you're in mono green or a color where you're ramping heavily. Um, the fact that if they use resources to kill him when he's on the board, uh, then those resources are still stunned. Yep. You know, Even so they have gone. to make a commitment to the board state to get rid of him. Um, I've, I would say that my next biggest is probably uh, Seedborn Muse, specifically for advantage. Um, Green's advantage, as far as other people's turns, is n practically non-existent in comparison to yeah, other for sure. colors. These are few cards like Yeva and things like that that allow you to give your creatures flash. But yeah, it's not much. But only creatures and things yeah, like that. Exactly. And you know, normally you want to. From a competitive standpoint, you want to be able to mitigate your resources on your turn and other people's turns. Mm -hmm. And Seedborn Muse gives you unrestricted access to just do that all the time. Adam, I know you uh, love Seedborn. You know, you're a crew fix player. So Seedborn is pretty much checks all your boxes for everything that you want. Oh, yeah. It lets me uh, float mana to crew fix and then take your guys' turn and use them to my advantage. Like... I usually use, uh, I run a lot of instances in my uh, Groovefix deck, so like most of the time I'll let you take a turn, I'll cast like 
uh, stroke of genius and pay X amount into it and draw some cards and uh, then I'll wait till Dale's turn and maybe he does something I don't like and I'll try to counter it or whatever or do some other shenanigans. Maybe I have a Delkin out on board and I can go start and to flash stuff in like creatures and whatnot. Yeah, I mean the the obvious successor of this card, you know, Seedborn would have been Prophet of Crufix, rest in peace. Amen. Um, Prophet of Crufix did seem to be too powerful. Um, yeah, it was pretty. For an investment of five mana, you get to take up to however many people in your pods turns, yeah. because it's it's my turn, and then we'll take our turn yep. because you know my some of my things have flash. Um, and next, we're still on the green train with uh, this because Craterhoof is probably my next uh, biggest creature. Um, who fends games? Yeah, has ended games since it was printed. Um, the fact that there was no effect stapled to a creature that was that efficient. Um, like a, in a pre-hoof world, it was you were mostly running overrun effects mm-hmm. like Kamal Fist of Crozier. And that was a significant mana sink. I believe it's five mana for a th- plus three plus three trample. Mm-hmm. You know, so in comparison, for 10 mana, you only get plus 6, plus 6. But for 8 mana for Crater Hoof, you can be exponentially higher than that. You know, a tooth and nail entwined for a Hoof and an Avenger ends games most of the time, Yeah, I would say. Honestly. I mean, um, basically, if you're on turn 5 or 6, you're going to get a good couple dudes from the Avenger coming in. Um, and then that only busts our boosts like the buff from crater hoof by that much more so yeah yeah. so i mean even if you're not you know pod wiping you take out the biggest threat and then it's yeah um and like i said having lived in a pre-hoof world it's kind of it was amazing to me how the the buff that green decks got because of it was just fantastic i mean my first deck that I ran Crater Hoof in when I pulled it from a pack was uh, Raise the Redeemed Tokens. Oh, nice. And yeah. it, That'll do it. Yeah, that also has my uh, highest record of non-infinite damage in one game. And it was like in the 15,000-something. Oh, wow. Yeah. Bunch of elves, Crater Hoof. Pretty easy to get there. Yeah. Um, and then now I'm a personally biased black mage. Um, I saw Yogmoth definitely made my list. Um, everything from his mana cost to his protection from humans to his power toughness to all of his stapled effects. Um, fantastic. Yep. The, I second that. The synergistic actions that he can perform in the colors are insane. He can generate so much advantage. Uh, he, everything is wipeable. Because mm-hmm. things that get neg one, neg ones, doesn't matter if it's indestructible. You know, if you're trying to make it hexproof, if I'm if I'm in like a loop or something, you know, you can't. I'll just do it in response. Draws you cards. Ugh, it's just the quintessential. You know, I'm glad that that is the father of Phyrexia. You know, yeah, Hail Phyrexia for sure. He's definitely everything that Black wants to do. I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, he definitely made my list as well for basically the same reason. So yeah, it's. Just absolutely fantastic. And then, so, for my number one, 
it wasn't really a contest for me because I've seen the before and after of this creature, um, Deadeye Navigator. And when I was looking at criteria for what would get it on the list, it was how has the game changed since this creature has been introduced into the game versus any time before that. And the difference between a pre-Deadeye world is insurmountable. I couldn't think of anything else because I, I played in it, you know. And when Deadeye, Deadeye came out, it was instantly one of the best value engines that you could possibly create. Um, you know, you had your Venser always, you know, printed, and that was a go-to combo. Um, Palancron, Peregrine Drake, Great Whale. Um, Even just something that's value like Eternal Witness. Yeah. Like, or Crater Hoof oh, for that matter. I mean, yeah. Putting it with exactly. Crater Hoof just makes the Crater Hoof that much bigger. You know, and just the un. If you are uninterrupted, I would say 95% of the time you will win a game with a Dead Eye on board. Um, because. Just for the small investment of two mana, you get to flicker and create some of the best ETB effects over and over and over again. You know, I think we've all played against a, a dead-eyed-up Mystic Snake. Yep, it's yep. just a, the one of the most oppressive game states you could be under. In my in my experience, it's been Dead-Eye Venser, uh, Adam's Crifix deck again. That's something that like. Honestly, depending on the deck that I'm playing, um, if I see that, I just scoop like <laughs> straight up because I'm just I know I'm not going to be able to do anything yeah, about most it. Most of the time, I'm able to lock down what's going on. Yeah, like it's nine times out of ten when he plays Crufix, I play my Azusa deck, and it's just okay. Yeah, you got it. I'm I'm not going to be able to do anything with that. So. Yeah, I mean, uh, for uh, those of you who are you know uninterred of the Deadeye Navigator. It is a 6-drop. It's 4 and 2 blue. It is a spirit. It's a 5-5. Five, five. And it has the soul bond mechanic. So when this creature enters the battlefield, or when another creature enters the battlefield, you may choose to soul bond with it, and they paired. Uh, it also activates the second ability, which is uh, pay 1 blue and 1 to uh, basically blink target creature. And then when you when a creature re-enters from the blink, you can re-soul bond. Uh, by the way, if you're trying, if you've ever found it impossible to play against a dead eye on something really oppressive, respond to the soul bond trigger. Don't try and respond to anything else. Yep. It's know, already too late. It's at that too point. late at that point. Yep. You have to hit the soul bond trigger, or it's just over. So that's just a little rules. Yeah, thing for sure. That. That does take up a step. You can respond to it. If you can respond to it, I would do so instantly. <laughs> yeah, um, for sure. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, the pre, pre-Deadeye pre world was, you know, it's funny that Hoof and Deadeye, same set. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, just Deadeye is so much of a value engine in any budget of deck. Deadeye is not an expensive card. No, not at all. And it is not, you know out of the realms to say that a lot of good ETB effects can be found on uncommons and commons and things like oh, that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So it's a 
it's available to pretty much any budget. Um, I saw it in every deck that ran blue back at the time. Every deck that ran blue, even if they were only playing a Snapcaster Mage or something like that, you know, I have five Snapcaster Mages now because my mana pool. Yep. And it's just so ridiculous that we have actually, you know, it's been called for to be banned since its inception. Everyone was like, this card is too powerful. Still, still is talked about being banned. Yeah, it will never be banned. No. Just respond to the Soul Bond trigger, kids. Um, yeah, like it's not undeal withable. You know what I mean? It's not something that like cannot be taken care of. If it's slapped down, I will say that that's most of it. Like, counter it. Do what you got to do. Respond to the Soul Bond trigger. But just the absolute difference that pre and post. Dead Eye. That is why it deserves, in my opinion, my top spot. Um, just because I got to see the evolution of the casual table from back then to now. Yeah. I would definitely say that that is my number one, like, best creature card in EDH for that reason. Because it doesn't just affect, you know, it doesn't affect CDH at all, if we're being honest. It yeah. Does, like, yeah. you will never see. A super competitive list that says Deadeye is the crux of my deck. Yeah. Something like that. You're not trying to jam a Deadeye out turn two. That's exactly. not going to happen. That yeah. it, it's, you know, in thinking about it, it's kind of ridiculous. Yeah. It's like, wow, why would I even do this? Yeah. But in the other 98% of EDH games, if a player is playing blue, I'm afraid of a Paragon Drake Deadeye. Yep. I'm afraid of a Venser Deadeye. I'm a I'm afraid of a Deadeye X card. Yeah, you know, like for sure. A lot of it is just oof. Yeah, but, for sure. Yeah, so that is that is my list. Um, let's talk to the guy who's going to name five green cards, Dale. <laughs> well, here, real quick. So there is one thing that I'd like to do. Do you have any honorable mentions? Anything that maybe you really thought hard about but just didn't quite make the cut to your list? Um, as far as creatures, yeah, I would say. Uh, we had talked about it before we started taping. Um, Avison. Yeah. Uh, Avison, she's a big, beastie bomb. Yeah. Um, and she's hard to deal with. If you're running a lot of you know targeted removal or blanket destruction effects, uh, she shuts you down. Yep. You know? And that's um, one of the most conventional ways in EDH to rid yourself of problem like troublesome creatures. Yeah. Is, you know, the Doom Blades that go for the throats, the board wipes, things like that. And she just completely circumvents that kind yeah. of stuff. Not everybody's gonna have the you know, even just a regular printing of path is like seven dollars. Yeah. You yeah. know, so yeah. it's like not everyone's gonna wanna invest that for that kind of return. Yeah. Especially for a path where you're gonna, you know, ramp them. Yeah. But you know, we see it as naturally competitive in our meta because of the strength of our meta. Mm -hmm. But Avacyn at a casual table is... I've had casual tables scoop because of an Avacyn. They're like, I don't have anything to deal with this. Yep. You know? Neil used to have... Uh, the owner of the Comics Bowl, he used to have an Avacyn deck that was uh, very blinged out. And uh, it was gross to sit down and play against back in the day. That was when we were still, like, fledgling in getting into more um, hardcore play and things like that. So we did have a little bit more of jackier decks, and he would just clap our face hard. 
just yeah. not something we wanted to deal with. You know what I mean? It was very rough to play against. But um, Definitely. Yeah. That being said, yeah, let's talk about Dale's list. Uh, I guess I'll start with my honorable mention would be uh, Vorinclex for sure, as reason stated, just the sheer value you get from doubling your mana and slowing your opponents down. It really makes them think about what spells they're going to cast. Do they absolutely have to cast it? If not, they're probably not going to cast it, and you just gain that much advantage. So, Arguably the strongest Praetor, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think, I think it's, it's a, I think it's a hands-down thing. For me personally, like I don't think there's even a contest. The next best, I mean, I know this isn't what we're talking about, but just to say it, the next best I think would have to be Elishnorn. Like I think it's Jin. Jin. Or yeah, I would say yeah, Jin fair Gitaxis. enough. Yeah, fair enough. Jin Gitaxis, yeah. But I mean for me, hands down, it's Verniclex, regardless. But, yeah. yeah. Uh for my number five, I put down Seedborn Muse. Uh obviously being able to untap your permanence on each player's step is just ridiculously good in yeah. any deck that has green available to it. So I mean, yeah. I threw that as my number five. Uh, for my number four, I picked Blightsteel Colossus. I mean, you got a big, huge body that's indestructible, has infect. Like, it ends games, it at least knocks people trample. out. It has trample That's, that's as the well, big boy so. right there. Well, that and the fact that its PT is over 10. <laughs> yeah. So if you can get that thing unblockable with like something as simple as a ten cent rogues passage, that that's good. That's it for that player. You know what I mean? So I mean, he's the whole package as far as infect wins are concerned. Well, yeah. not even that. Just like Chandra's ignition. Yeah. 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 That's a good point. Yeah, I always forget about that card. Just kill the whole table one time. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Slap a whisper silk cloak on it. Give it shroud and unblockable. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And indestructible. Then at that point, it's, yeah. that thing's a tank. Yeah. <laughs> uh, What's it drop for? Is it 12 drop, I think? Yeah. It's a 12 drop, and it's 11 11. Yeah. Yep. Uh, for my number three, I went with Birds of Paradise. Uh, I mean, a one drop mana dork that taps for anything. I see it constantly, pretty much like every multicolor deck that has green in it. I see it at the table all the time playing against it. So, As you I should. Mean, Yep. It pretty much speaks for itself. I mean, it's just Hell, I run on my mono green deck. I don't even care. <laughs> yeah. Solid Still green. a great dork. Yeah. Gives me a little flying blocker in case I need it, you know what yeah. I mean? So, yeah. Yeah. Um, for my number two, I picked Ulamog the Ceaseless Hunger because uh, the cast trigger is just super good at dealing with any threats that might be out there that you need to get rid of that, you know, might be indestructible, like a Blight Steel. Yep. or something like that and the ability to just exile people's libraries away from them is like super good yeah so for those who don't know ulamog the ceaseless hunger has a little bit of a of well it's a very cool interaction so it is a cast trigger for his first ability so yeah you want to counter it you want to you know bounce it back to my hand whatever cool do that but i am still going to exile two of your permanents same with his second ability. It's on attack. All I have to do is declare that I'm attacking with him, and you're going to lose 20 cards to exile off the top of your library. I don't have to connect. I, you know, it doesn't have to be blocked. Nothing like that. Like he, it, it's pretty sweet <laughs> that he like circumvents that sort of stuff. Like it's like the preemptive strike in a way. Like he just he gets around a lot of stuff. Yeah, there have been times where I've like had a spore frog, which is a one drop uh, fog on a stick. 
and I've died to Ulamog because he's just, I can't get around that attack trigger. Yeah, like, I don't need to deal the damage to you. It's just the fact that, like, as soon as I declare that I'm attacking with Ulamog, you're losing those cards. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Super good. Super strong card. Uh, for my number one, I went with Craterhoof Behemoth. I mean, it's, again, we've already talked about it, just ends games. And pretty much any type of stompy deck, creature-based deck that has green you know, wants to run this and it Are just you a green tears up Dave. So, <laughs> yeah. You know, I tried to, I tried to throw some other, you know, colors aside from green, but I as really, in colorless. <laughs> I really yeah. came up with colorless just cause I mean, as, as wizard states, colorless is not a color. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the colorless thing though is definitely great cause they just go in any deck. So yeah, anybody sure. can use it. So I, I, I figured I'd throw those in there just cause it, gives everyone access to it you know versus crater hoof definitely you know so yeah i can see that for sure but yeah those are my top five so yeah um so i guess we'll go around then mine i'm next um we'll start with my honorable mentions avison again she was someone that i like thought really hard about just simply because of how difficult she makes dealing with people's stuff um, but she didn't end up making my list. I think some of the, or I think the other creatures that I chose were just better choices. Another honorable mention I had was Lab Laboratory Maniac. Um, when you have a card that just says I win on it, typically it's very powerful. Now, JB, while we were sort of deliberating before the recording, brought up a very good point. I mean, if I go to, you know, enter the infinite and then draw a card you can just blow lab man up and then i'm just you know i'm out of luck at that point so he's not like super powerful in his own right but i do think he was worth talking about a little bit definitely so we'll start with my number five uh, for me it's going to be seedborn muse um, the ability to untap on other people's un uh, untap steps and essentially always have mana open for responses um, partner it with something like Flash, and you're going to basically be take. You're going to do everything you want to do in a turn, other than drop a land. I can cast an enchantment. I can cast an artifact. I can cast whatever I want, even a sorcery, on your turn. You it also I mean? pretty much makes it so your creatures have like pseudo vigilance. Yeah, exactly. So. Like I can swing with them that turn. That's a great point. I can swing with them that turn, and then the next turn they're untapped and ready to go. Yeah, yeah that's a great point. That's I didn't even I, think about I, that. I honestly. use Seedborn Muse a lot for that specifically. Just like. Even if I just have the dorks out there and just, just being able to be like, okay, I'm just going to swing a little bit of damage here and here and here and never have to worry about the crackback and always have blockers. That's a very great point. Yeah, I mm -hmm. didn't even think about that, to be 100% honest with you. Um, so for me, uh, my number four was uh, Moldrotha. I think for her color scheme, Sultai, um, she is hands down the best creature that we can ask for. Uh, she does exactly what that kind of deck wants to do. Um, being able to cast any type of permanent from your graveyard, only one, you know, per turn, but that's still normally, one of each. One of each, yeah. yeah. One of each permanent type from your graveyard per turn. That's still really good. Um, I remember when she was spoiled, like it was an immediate brew fest for me. Like I was, I had a pro, I had like just a piece of paper that said Muldroth on it that I was running as my commander at the time because I just, I had to get some play testing in with her. Like I do honestly think that she's one of the best creatures in EDH. Like she's just so good. The value that you can get off of her, throw something like a Vidalcan or a Leyline in there too. And like you can spore frog every turn. You can mm -hmm. 
it, it, the possibilities are endless. It's pretty sweet. I, re, I really dig Muldrotha. I, I am biased. She yeah. is one of my commanders, but I do. I, I do see Muldrotha probably the most of any commander. Like just last weekend, I literally played in a game with three Muldrotha decks. Are you serious? No kidding. What? Yeah, yeah really? three wow. in one game. But like I, I do frequently get in games where there'll be two. Yeah. You know, I mean, three is. That's only happened once. Yeah, yeah. Last but weekend, still, but though, yeah. Still, still seventy-five like, percent yeah. Muldrotha meta in a single pod is pretty ridiculous. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Um, just as a quick aside about Muldrotha too, I do find that my list is very different than most people's. Um, most people go for the quote-unquote permanent tribal, where it's like everything you know is a permanent that you can recast with her. I do run a lot of instants and sorceries in mine because mine is more of a toolbox deck where I'm trying to. Tutor for everything I can, have counters, have responses, but then the the actual permanents that I am running are just the high value, the highest value permanents that are that I can. You yeah, know what I mean, and that's something that I have noticed playing a bun- against a bunch of Muldrotha decks is that yours definitely comes from a more like competitive standpoint. Yes, where definitely. like having re- in competitive EDH, having responses is everything yeah you know if you don't have responses then everybody just gets to do whatever they want and in a lot of you know casual edh games that's all anybody ever wants yeah is to like i want to sit around i want to play some splashy creatures i want to play some big fat spells you know don't tread on me bro yeah just like (laughs) like you know you play your fat splashy spell and the blue player's like i don't know about that just like please yeah (laughs) just I just want this to resolve. I won't do anything. I won't attack you. I won't do anything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's where all the politics begin. Yeah, that's where all the politics, yeah, where yeah, all the politics exactly. begin. Yeah. But just like having the responses in the first place kind of puts, I think, your Moldrotha deck like in the top percentile of the decks I've actually played against. Yeah. Only because of the higher percentage of the instants and sorceries. Yeah. Like it's I can't consistent. I can't tell you how many times like I use tapped out a lot for my decks. Um, I can't tell you how many times people have asked me, why are you running so many instants and sorceries? And for me, it's like an obvious thing. Like, I almost don't even know how to answer it because it's just like, well, didn't, did you see my list? Like, take a look at it. Like, there's, there's a very clear reason for it. Like, yes, the, the, having all the permanents and things like that are great. But, like, let's take, okay, so let's talk counter spells with Muldrotha just for a split second here. Yes, I could run the Mystic Snakes, the Frilled Mystics, things like that. But why would I do that? Because I can't count, I can't use Mystic Snake and Frilled Snake on your turn unless I have some other piece. So at that point, it's better to just have an outright counterspell. I could run Rune Scarred Demon for tutors that I can recur that tutor. But why, again, why would I when I can run Demonic Tutor that's a two drop instead of a seven drop? Do you know what I mean? Like, so for me, it was about consistency. It was, yeah, I want to be able to get these permanent pieces out. But I want to do so by using the instants and sorceries. And I do have ways to recycle them and things like that. But when you yeah. can just demonic tutor at will, yeah, that's yeah. that's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> like it just I don't know. That that was always my thought process. I think the consistency point you brought up is definitely like that hits home. Um, and I mean, like your things like, you know, your frilled snake and or your frilled mystic and your uh, mystic snake. You know, they like they do have flash, so you are able to. Oh, fair enough. I did but, forget about but, that. Yeah, but like they're like a one of unless you're running, or like you've got the viscerous seer sitting out there, or the mm-hmm. Brexian altar, or something like that, where you can 
you yeah. know, constantly use them over and over again. Yeah. They're more like a like a combat trick where you're just like, oh, bet you forgot I had this in my graveyard. Yeah, Flash yeah. out Frilled Mystic. Yeah. And I just think, you know, like you said, it's the consistency of that situation happening versus you just needing to have a two-mana counterspell in your hand. Yeah. I think the two-mana counterspell is going to blanket 90% of situations better than yeah. a Frilled Mystic. Yeah, yeah. 100%. Um, so moving on, my number three is going to be Urza, uh, Lord High Artificer. Um, for me, he had to go on this list. I mean, being a Telerian Academy on a stick and just some of the stuff that I know I can do with my deck, he's, he's really good. <laughs> like, I like the last ability. Um, it sort of gets around things that say you can't tutor because it's not a tutor. I'm just shuffling and revealing a card off the top of my library. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it is five five mana to do so. So, like, for example, I have an Urza CDH deck. I don't run anything that's a five drop in there. I mean, since Paradox Engine was banned, that was the last five drop card I think I had in that deck. I might have like one other one. But the whole point is, I get infinite mana, and then that five mana means nothing. I can just play whatever I want and exile my library. And as I'm exiling, I might put a counterspell into exile. So if you try and stop me at some point, I've got backup that I can cast for free. Um, he's a 1-4, so he's a Timna blocker, which is really great in CDH. Um, I just think he's a really good value engine. I mean, I may, honestly, now that I'm talking about it, I may even have misplaced him on my list. He probably could be my number five and then just shift the other two up. But I, I'll stick with number three for right now. I do, I do still think he's worthy of being on the list. He's got a lot of value that you can generate out of him and yeah. things like that. So it turns all of your zero drop, you know, mana artifacts that aren't that great or it turns all your zero drop artifacts that aren't that great into mana artifacts. Like it turns a Mishra's Bobble, which isn't super great, into a mox it turns a tormod's crypt into a not only tormod's crypt but also a mox if you need it lotus petal i don't have to sack it i can just keep it on board and continually yeah. tap it for blue like it is a very he's a very good card um moving on to my number two is crater hoof um again we've already talked about crater hoof he ends games like it's it's been ever since it was printed it has ended the games i mean jb i think what you said about the card speaks enough for itself, so I won't harp about it anymore. But that's that's more or less where I'm at with that as well. Yeah, um, I mean, the just it it's undeniably one of the best cards in green. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. I just you know, even if you're running like a a more competitive version of any green deck, just the threat of a crater hoof is present. All the time. Yeah. You know, like, every time, at least when I play against green players, I'm like, am I within getting my, my ass hoofed off right now? Yeah. Like, for sure. like for can, sure. I, can I swing this resources? Can I commit to this resource? Because if they're just going to tooth and nail uh, a hoof, I'm going to die. Yep. So. And it's, it's funny, too, because he does cost so much. Um, he is green intensive. But he still manages to make his way into lists because of how good he is. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, he is a game finisher for yeah. anything that runs green and wants to put out a lot of creatures. You know what I mean? So, yeah, there's no there's no doubt that he is one of the best creatures Absolutely. in the game. For 100%. sure. 100%. For sure. So that brings me to my number one. It is Yawgmoth. Um, again, this is a biased answer for me as well. 
but just the sheer fact of the synergy that he has within mono black um like let's look at it we'll look at him in a vacuum for a second for mono black he literally does everything mono black wants to do like it's just he's just too good like the synergy that is derived from that card is just amazing like there's so much stuff you can do like like jb said it gets around the indestructible and things like that and he just he is the best creature in edh for me right now for what that like for what he wants to do like he's got everything he needs stapled on him i think he's i think he's great i'm and i've i found myself putting just throwing a yog moth in my attraxa deck yeah um like my attraxa deck attraxa itself as a deck is just extremely mana intensive mm -hmm. you have to have the correct colors you have to have all your fixing and he's a double black with a double black activation stapled on there for his proliferate yep which my attracts walkers that's great you know proliferate effects but you know i found that working around getting him out and like creating the two black that he needs to do that is worth it Every time. I have oh, yeah. not had a time where I've had to hit the board and be like, I just can't make two black. This yeah. is awful. You know, like, I'm like, well, okay, I cast them and I have to commit this amount of resources in order to create the two black. But, yeah. you know, he's, he's been an all-star. I mean, you and I both have Yawgmoth decks. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, like, biased as we are, Hail Phyrexia. Hail it's Phyrexia. Just, yeah, it's just, I think that, you know, Dale, Dale shivers a little bit. Whenever uh, he plays, and that's why he built an entire deck just to counter both of our decks. He built a Malira deck. <laughs> yeah, how did that work out? Yeah, there? it doesn't. It uh, turns out Yogmoth <laughs> is the worst creature in EDH when you're playing against a Malira deck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's an understatement for down sure. Down at the bottom. I was being cheeky one night at my house while we were playing, and uh, I was like, "Oh, JB, you want to go duel Yog Papa decks?" And he's like, "Oh, we're like, oh yeah, sure, sure." We don't even know what Dale's playing, and honestly, like, I don't even think you looked at what we were playing. Either. No, you're just like, ah, I'm going to play Malira, why not? And then JB and I are just looking across the table and we're just like, what in the hell are we going to do about this? We chose we chose poorly. Yes. <laughs> like, yeah. Just very... They killed the guy who could help them. Yes, oh my, get over it, Adam. <laughs> so, I, so I stabbed you in the back and proliferated your eight poison counters up to ten. Yep, he managed yeah. to convince me to proliferate his poison counter to nine, and then he did it yes, <laughs> to good. ten. Good. Yeah, but who gave him the poison counters, right? That's true, yeah. Melira did, yeah. it was She was the bane of Yawgmoth, but... Um, <laughs> it was funny. It yeah, was interesting. Yeah, I agree. But yeah, like I said, for me right now, he is—he's the best creature in ADH for me, just simply because of what he wants to do and what he does within his vacuum. Like I, I really like him a lot. Yeah. And last but certainly not least, we have Adam. <laughs> well, a lot of the stuff uh, has been said all around the table, uh, first and foremost. But so I'll kind of keep it short. I'll touch on stuff that uh, hasn't been said. But I have two honorable mentions. Uh, my first is Void Winnower, which is uh, the you can't even card, as most people uh, meme it as. Yeah. <laughs> it's a nine drop that's at 11-9 that your opponents can't cast spells with even converted mana cost, and your opponents can't block with creatures with even converted mana cost. Uh, this is just an oppressive card. Um, uh, there have been numerous times I know for me, like whether I've played it or whether I've 
been fighting people who have played it, and it's just shut down people, me included, uh, yep. to where, like, I like to keep my mana, uh, or not my mana, but my uh, mana cost short, like two drops, one drops, three drops, four drops. So, like, it really does shut me down pretty hard. Yeah, he's basically on the same reasoning as Varenklex. Just the yep. simple fact of, like, the how he just stalls the game out and forces you to deal with him. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah. it, it's, you know what? It's kind of one of the most uniting cards in a pot. Someone, <laughs> yeah. someone slaps down a Void Winner and... The other three players are immediately just like, "Yo, what do you got? Can you deal with <laughs> yeah, this? Yeah. Who's got who's Seriously. who's got the who's got the path to exile? Yep. Who's got the swords to plowshares? Can any, you know?" And everyone's just like, oh, "I'm running a two drop, and I can't even do anything." You know, like, yeah. There's a lot of like, "Well, I would, but yes, you know, exactly. Yeah, yeah. like, well, I could deal with that if I, you know, if my I could cast my Doomblade or my Go for the Throne yeah, or something exactly. like that. Yeah. yeah, that I would say that you know, even like up there with Vorin Clex. Yeah, is for sure. like like Vorin is the same way like okay yeah. who's gonna bite the bullet you know who's yeah. gonna who's gonna tap their mana down for an extra turn <laughs> yep. just to deal with the boy yep. yeah exactly that's you basically summed it up there it's a unifying card for the other three people at the table who against the <laughs> void winner um, yeah just basically to sum it up is, again it's oppressive and yeah. I like oppressive cards I definitely totally like it flew right under my radar, but I pretty much run Void Winner in like every single one of my decks. <laughs> and I don't really run Vorinclex too much anymore. Yeah. But I run Void Winner. It costs a little bit more than Vorinclex, but yeah, the effect is just so good. Yeah, so I mean, good. You're cutting out most counter spells. You're cutting out, like, I mean, for me, being a blue mage and stuff like that, you're cutting out my bouncing spells. You're cutting out. Uh, uh, tutors, even for yep. like demonic yeah, tutor yeah. and like merchant scroll and along those lines. So yeah, it's very very oppressive. And then most things like if you have even converted even converted mana costs, like you're not going to be able to block. Even it's an yep. eleven nine, like you're going to get smacked yeah. with eleven. I I use it life. to get my dudes through, and like you said, to just prevent counter spells and tutors is mm-hmm. the main reason why I use it in my decks. Yeah, and it works great for that. Yeah, it's fantastic. <laughs> But my second honorable mention is uh, one of my commanders, Yurok, the Desecrated, which is, uh, in my opinion, the better Sultai commander out of the two that we've talked about. Scoff. <laughs> uh, it's a uh, two colorless and Sultai, which is green, blue, black. Uh, it's a 3-5 with death touch and lifelink. And then when a permanent entering the battlefield causes a trigger ability of a permanent you control to trigger, that it triggers an additional time. So even... You can go as budges as you can. You can still make a good Yurok deck. That's There's true. There's just so much value in the ETB uh, side of things that you can make a very good uh, deck out of it. I do think that he is a better toolbox commander than Muldrotho. However, if I was to tuck Flash Hulk back into my deck, I think I would beat you nine times out of ten. Dude, I let's do. find out. I know. Let's definitely find out. Because honestly, I Jelly. do. Yeah. This is uh, spicy. Like, this I is do spicy. Think, I do honestly think if I tuck Flash Hulk back into my... I, I recently changed my Muldrotha deck back to just be a little bit more reanimator janky instead of just being so combo-centric because I do have like four CDH decks. But yeah, no, the Flash Hulk, like it definitely like propelled that deck into like a good spot, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? But it was almost too good. I had to like cut it down a little bit. But recently, Yarok has been being a huge pain in my ass. 
and he's very difficult to deal with. Uh, the, uh, the value is there. Like, the oh, value yeah. is 100% there. I just think I might be able to outrace you. My combo, I mean, my co- your that's, combo is that t- you can do a turn one. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. And that's the only reason why I say I think eight or nine times out of ten yeah. I would be able to outrace you. But that doesn't necessarily mean the commander's better. That might just mean my yeah. combo is better. You I know think, what I mean? I so. think one of the biggest things would be like if he, if Adam would take the Flash Hulk package and tuck it in Yarrock and you would put it back in Moldrotha, you know. Which commander would be more resilient? Honestly, I think it's Muldrotha oh, because yeah. of his ability to get the pieces back if you stop it. Yeah. Now, it's, is, it is hard to overcome. Trust me, I've been there. The, the value engine that Yarok is, yeah. mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. I've been having difficulties with it lately. Oh, yeah. I really have. Like, you've really tuned that deck up a lot, and it's, like, been a bitch. <laughs> like, for sure. <laughs> like, I've, been, I've had a real hard time dealing with it, for sure. And like, but the value engine only works if your rock is on the board. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you're only getting that really like pushing over the edge whenever you're getting the double Vencers or yeah. you're getting the double, you know, X, whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And pairing it with the Panharmonicon, which I know you do, which just that just propels it into the next level of insanity. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I'm, I am not in any way saying the deck uh, is a no. no, absolutely. Yeah, in no I way. Am I. Yeah, I do. But stuff. yeah, let's duke it out one time. We'll see what yeah. happens. I'm yeah. interested. Next episode, we'll tell you guys about that. We'll see what happens. I'm gonna tuck <laughs> Flash Hulk in back just for a special, you know, uh, versus match for the uh, the Commanders Wall. We'll see what happens. But yeah. go ahead and continue. But yeah, those are my honorable mentions. Um, Going to my top five now, uh, my number five is Hulk. Not only for like Flash Hulk uh, purposes and whatnot, which is a combo I utterly despise. I don't think it is, uh, it's super viable, don't get me wrong. I just, I think people rely on it too much to win nowadays in competitive. Yeah. Here, here. As soon as Hulk was unbanned, I mean, that's it, it was an immediate resurgence in the flash hulk builds i mean Mm -hmm. why would you not though you know what i mean like if you're if you are trying to accomplish that goal as quickly as possible it's the best one oh yeah yeah, absolutely i mean like even with both iterations like breakfast hulk and shuffle hulk builds um we'll you know if we do a, a podcast episode about like cdh decks like, we'll go into those further. Yeah. But just to, like, I, I explain all the combos and stuff, I think would take too much time. Yeah. I've, but, show, I've showcased the Shuffle Hulk deck before in one of our previous episodes. Oh, okay. For Arch Enemy. Oh, for your yeah, Arch Enemy. Yeah. yeah. It's just, I mean, it's so, uh, like, consistent. Yeah. And that is the name of the game in CDH. Exactly. It doesn't matter if you're glass cannoning, you know, oh, like, I can win turn one. Well, yeah, but... How many? What percentage yeah. of the time exactly. are you winning? Exactly. Turn one. Whereas, like the turn three to four, three, four, five yeah. is the, the finishing line for Shuffle Hulk decks yeah. a lot of the time. Yeah, for sure. And having the just insane amount of consistency that it does, I can see why you would you would put it up there. I I personally. Think it's a fantastic creature, and uh, oh, you yeah. know, they, you know, they never should have unbanned it. Uh, I don't think they will <laughs> ban it again. No, I, think I would it, hope I th- not. I think it's, you know, we're too far in it to win. It, you know what I mean? Yeah, like it's just, point, it's gonna yeah. stay in. 
And but I the reason why it didn't make my list in particular is because it only affects those tables exactly in that way at a really high percentage of EDH. Like in oh, the two yeah. percent of EDH where we are playing extremely yep. competitively yep. and things like that. And I honestly think that's why the choice was made to unban it. I mean Protean Hulk was not something that was being sat down and played at kitchen table. It just wasn't. Like, it only really enables the strong combo finish in CDH. Yeah, sure, you can tuck it into your Muldrothas and your Yarrocks and things like that. But, like, where it sees the most play is in the upper levels of, of competitive yeah. magic. EDH. It, it's, uh, I mean, it's my finisher for uh, Marin most of the time. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But yeah. even, like, if you Gold, would go... Garly, Gold yeah. Garry Hulk package. Uh, even if you would go and, um, like, steal... Makes the pieces for uh, to win that combo. Um, I would just go and like there are other choices in my deck that I could go for. Like, let's say uh, Dale over here is just swinging hard with um, his big green creatures. I can go for a uh, Spore Frog with one of the six convert a mana cost I can get out of the hall yep. and whatnot. Um, that's why it made my list, and not necessarily for the combo. Part yeah, exactly. It. It's, a big, it's a big thing, I understand, but it was more of like it's just a powerful creature in general. Even just like let's take Moldrotha for example. Like I could think of a good one. Like you could do Eternal Witness, Sakura Tribe Elder, Spore Frog. Like that's a good that's package. That's a great package. Like that's pretty good. I'll take mm -hmm. that. I'll take that all day. You know what I mean? Hell, you could do Ewit. Dark Confidant and Spore Frog, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, it's just, the possibilities are endless. It is a great card, regardless Sidisi, of where it's Viscera being played. Seer, you can sacrifice a Viscera Seer, you can get your Sidisi trigger. Yep. Um, but my number four is Hoof. We've all talked about it at this point. I don't think there's much more to be said. <laughs> no, <Nope, laughs> like, probably not. Other than that, it's a great finisher. Hoof pretty hard. Um, I, will, <laughs> I will say I don't see very many uh, um, decks that don't run Hoof. And if I do see a deck that doesn't run Hoof, that's a main, especially if it's a mono green deck, I question the player. Like, well, why? that, and it's probably yeah. a budgetary thing, because, I mean, yeah, it, it is, is a $30 card. It is a pretty expensive card. Yeah, like, it is a $30 card, so. Terms. Well, I yeah. mean, I know some people who have the budget to do that stuff, and they don't have a creator. Well, then, yes, then, yes, I am questioning the player at that point. It's just, like, why are you not doing it? Like, yeah. is there, there's got to be a good reason, because, I mean, yeah. It's Crater Hoof. It's Crater Hoof. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, not even like. Needless for, to say, he will be on the top five list that we oh, create yeah. after yeah, Adam's he, done here. He, because <laughs> like, he did make it onto everybody's yeah, list. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. It's depending on what spot he kind of yeah. take the mantle up. Uh, my number three is Dead Eye Navigator. Now, uh, that's also one that we've all. Uh, that JB, I think, is the only one who touched on. Um, I know he kind of pointed me out for the Venzer and whatnot, uh, the Mystic Snakes, the uh, Frilled Mystics. All that good jazz. Um, yeah, I, I use and abuse Dead Eye Navigator, especially in my Crufix deck. Uh, it's it's in my Yurok deck as well for uh, for certain reasons to be able to bounce my stuff, get it back, and uh, get the double triggers again. Not even, let's say I don't have Yurok on board, I still get another trigger that gets me another ETB trigger to do some of my shenanigans. Um, my favorite is to do Venser Deadeye, but that's Boo. Just, <laughs> that's just because it locks Respond down the to the Soul Bomb trigger, kids. Please, <laughs> I beg you. Um, number two is, my, is Seedborn, and again, that was touched upon with all four of us. Um, again, used and abuse it. 
and then my number one is probably the only different one from everybody else, and that's Consecrated Sphinx. Now, Consecrated Sphinx is, again, one of those cards that, like, if we don't fucking take it out, we're gonna have, uh, we're gonna have problems. Like, if I have a Consecrated Sphinx and it goes all the way out on the table, I'm gonna draw... Uh, at least eight cards. Yeah, at least eight or at least six, six cards. cards. Yeah, at least yeah. six cards. Like, yeah. And you don't have to discard them because you're drawing them on somebody else's turn. So they're yeah. going to sit in your hand until the end of your next turn. Like, oh, yeah. yeah. The advantage is real. Um, because of that, like, recently it's been one of my favorite cards. Um, it goes into most of my blue decks. I don't have it in, like, uh, Tassiger because it's uh, six drop and that's just hard to get out. And then uh, your rock because that's a different game plan. But all my all my other blue decks have one to get that card advantage. Uh, it wins me games. Uh, can you just like explain what Consecrated Sphinx is? Yeah. Like the- Sorry. Um, so Consecrated Sphinx is a six drop, four colorless, and two blue. It's a four six flyer, and whenever an opponent draws a card, you may draw two. Now there's the may so. If you forget your trigger, you don't get to draw your two cards. But But it also keeps you from decking yourself. Yes. So, like, when somebody goes to enter the infinite, you do not have to deck yourself. You can just choose to draw as much shit as you want and not have to end up dying from Mm -hmm. it. You know what I mean? I mean, I think the the importance of the May is, like, super understated. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, Like, I've actually been killed by my own, I think it's Runic Armasaur. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whenever an activated ability is activated, you draw a card. It's Mm -hmm. not a May. So if it's a, a wandering fumarole, where they can uh, switch the power and toughness for zero, yep. uh, turns out yeah, you yeah. can get clapped by that. Yeah, <laughs> just making <laughs> me sure. draw my deck. Yeah, I, for sure. I did not even think about it like that. And then I, as soon as I lost, I was like, "Wow, yep, that was uh, okay, all right." I watched one time. There was a game where one of our friends, Richard. Uh, and Adam both had a con sphinx on board, and they were just both going back and forth. Okay, yeah, I'll draw two. Okay, well, I'll draw four. Okay, well, I'll draw, you know, eight. It's like, and it just spiraled out of control from there until somebody was like, mm, yeah, I'll stop. I'll stop here. And by that time, they've both got like half to three quarters of their deck in their hand. You know, that's pretty I mean? good. So yeah, it's yeah. Well, I mean, at that point, it's like once you get about ten cards in, you're like, I have to draw until I get my reliquary tower, spell book, <laughs> uh, thought yeah. thought vessel, something, yeah, something, yeah. Hundred percent. Yeah, that almost made my list too. What, I, I, cons things? Yeah, I you cont- hate blue. I contemplated it. I don't believe it, it, and I definitely went biased and was like, "I'm not going to add this because you I hate really hate blue." There you go. But <laughs> it is a super solid card, Just a and hater. it's always an immediate problem because you let the blue player draw them cards and. You give them eight cards. Always and you're pay not the get one for Ristic Study, kids. <laughs> always pay the one. Always. Never give them advantage. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, you guys know you give me cards, I usually win the game. I mean, that's anybody though. Yeah, like, we were sitting, yeah. I was sitting here with the uh, shop owner, uh, and he was playing his blue deck, and he, we were playing with a buddy of ours. He and I ended up uh, sending his uh, consecrated sphinx back to his hand, and he's just like, "Oh man, like I wanted a blocker." I was like, eh. "And against better judgment, which you shouldn't do this at home, kids." Uh, I let him have it back. I let him have it when he played it again for a couple turns, and he pretty much clapped us. Uh, he eventually lost because we all had to team up and take him down. But like, even going around, I think it went around twice, was enough for him to just get pure advantage of, of the game and take control of it. 
Card advantage is the name of the game. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're drawing more cards than the rest of the players in the pod, you should be winning the game, typically. And honestly, if you're going to invest six mana into the most easily, like, removable type of card to draw a bunch of cards, like, it's better draw you something real good. Yeah, you know I, I mean? yeah like, for sure. And Consphinx will nine times out of ten, probably. So. Well, that like, even brings me to another point. Like, you're going to use up a removal spell. Whether it's was saved for something else later on in the game, or you used it up in order for um, oh, it's a kill on sight. Exactly. If, if it comes down and I have the response, I will kill it on sight. Exactly. I will attempt to. Yeah. So that's one removal spell off the table uh, until that I don't have to worry about later on in the game. Yeah. It, it's just something that has to be dealt with. You know. You know, much like a you know, merit lodge or something like that. Yeah, you know, it's just like, well, you know, if this doesn't get dealt with, uh, we're dead. Yeah, you know? for sure. So it's definitely, you know, it's on my insta-kill list uh, up there with a few other things. But, yeah, I mean, that's interesting that that got your top spot, actually. Yeah, I also found that interesting, too. I found the Deadeye interesting, too. I didn't, like, I'm a relatively new player. I've only been playing for, like, four years. I think it's actually four years this month, which is pretty cool. But, um, yeah, I, I didn't really even think about it. You know what I mean? It's not, I, I know it's a good card, but mm-hmm. I didn't, it just didn't. My list is very biased. Most of my cards are my commanders. <laughs> so. yeah. no, I, like, and like I said, I mean, the only reason that it took my number one spot is because I've got to see the evolution of the game and the. The, the landscapes are totally different. Yeah. You know, the commonplace table, someone slams a Deadeye plus X, it's the it can turn insurmountable very quickly. Yeah, I 100% agree. And, yeah, that's why it took number one on my spot. I was glad to see that at least somebody else gave it the props it deserves. Well, yeah. it's, it's blue. I knew, I knew Dale wasn't going to give it any props because <laughs> he hates blue cards. But, I mean, I mean but think about it, Dale. In your toothy deck, remember yeah. when you tr- that you know, th- you know, an eon ago when you had a blue deck. <laughs> when I played super aggro blue, yeah. <laughs> it was awesome. Yeah, make toothy huge and punch Did you people. You run uh, Visidrex? No, no, no. Oh. Really missed opportunity. But <laughs> consecrated sphinx was in there, and I definitely tried to get the. Uh, Masterpiece version of it off Neil, but he would never come off of it. Oh yeah, he's gonna hold well, on to that yeah, baby. It's it's in his bond deck. So. It is now. He didn't have it in a deck when I was trying to get it off. Come <laughs> on, let me get that. But yeah, I mean, so I uh, think that basically rounds out all of our top fives. Uh, now we kind of have to try to debate a top five list. Crater hoof number one, baby. I'm also leaning yeah, there. Yeah, I, I mean, Craterhoof did make every one of our lists in various positions. It was second on your list. It was third on my list. It was first on Dale's, and it was on. It was fourth on Adams. I would say that just because it's the only card that made it on each of our lists, uh, I think it's better than Seedborn. Oh yeah, it for also sure. Made it on everybody's list. I yeah. just essentially would say that I would put Hoof at one. Well, that was a lot easier than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, I think think that's definitely a good choice for it, simply because, like, unless there are other circumstances involved, you're winning the game. Yeah. Like, whether it be, like, a Spore Frog on the table or... 
Well, enough, you shouldn't be hoofing with a spore frog well, on the no. table anyway. So, but <laughs> yeah, if you, you can at least kill everybody else yeah. at the table. And, and stuff yeah. the like dead eye. Uh, I mean, I would put dead eye at second for you know in the in the grand list, and only because dead eye can't end the game himself. Yeah, dead eye has to have something else, which is why he'll never be banned. In in essence, it's a six drop for it's a five five. If you yeah. have nothing else in a vacuum, six drop five five. Yep. You know, I think that I would make number two on my like overall list of best cards because I've played against it a lot, and I can literally only think of I think two times ever that I've seen that card come out and that person didn't win the game. Yeah. Yeah, I could agree with I could agree with it. I'm down to put it at number two. That being said, I think number three is Seaborn Muse. Yeah, no definitely. Doubt. No doubt. Just the sheer so, advantage. Yeah, definitely. This is actually going a lot easier than I thought it was going to. So. Well, I mean, like, now let's see we don't have the budget. Yeah, I was going to say, we, we, did, we don't really have the budget to televise like our fist fights. Yeah, how about it? It's just me and me and Trevor with our Yawgmoth on our backs. Like. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So what do you guys think for number four? I Here's mean, the tough ones. Yeah. yeah these are going to be the tough ones because I could easily see on this list, like, Varinclex and Yogmoth making four and five, with Varinclex being number four. Um, I could also see Khan Sphinx on the list at yeah. number four because of the card advantage that you can gain from, the, from it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't I, know. What do you guys think? I no. don't think – I mean, this goes for the same for Deadeye, but I don't think Yogmoth in my personal opinion, makes it top five because you have to have stuff around it in order to make it viable. Yes and no. You have to have the stuff in order to sacrifice, in order to draw the cards. You need the stuff yeah. to sack to I get mean, the yeah. draw. sure you get to proliferate, but what's yeah. proliferating going to do unless you're in a counter deck or in a Planeswalker deck? Or yeah, that's like fair. That. I guess you do have to have fuel for the fire. That's a good point. But that's the same, but it's, it's the same for the dead eye. It's the same for Deadeye. Yeah. You know. But and I think Deadeye Dead is just better. Yeah. Because you just most of the time win the game. Yogmoth can be out and in play. It doesn't mean you're going to win the game. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. But um, I don't know, man. Ulamog. It's, yeah, it's colorless. It goes in every deck. <laughs> no, I could, I could definitely see something like Ulamog. Nulamog. Uh, colloquially, I could see Nulamog getting in there. Um, it's just, it's I can't even say it's on my kill on site because I can't kill it. It's yeah, uh, it's it. an indestructible beat stick that does ridiculous things when you cast it, when you attack. You know, it, it's reanimatable. I would say that it's. If we were gonna put Ulamog on the list, I would say he goes five with Con Sphinx at four, just because Con Sphinx is cheaper and it's pure card advantage. I mean, you do have to sink 12 mana, albeit it's any color. You do have to sink, or what is it, 11, 10, 10, 10 mana? mana? You do have to sink 10 mana into an Ulamog. And, um, Consecrated he, Sphinx, what, 7? 6. Uh, 6. Six. Yeah, six, six. Four, and it flies, two. and it draws you, you know, it's insane card. It's advantage, a 4-6. So. Yeah. It's got a big booty. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I think if we're talking between Ulamog and Con Sphinx, I think Con Sphinx goes in over top of Ulamog. But I can see Ulamog being number five for, for sure. Yeah, I could see that. Um, I also could potentially just see Varenklex even beating Consphinx just simply because, like, he might not be pure card advantage like Consphinx is, but he's car he's pure like resource denial. 
just straight resource denial. And it's it's completely one-sided. It's, it's one not one. only one-sided, okay? It is one-sided. It's so one-sided to the point where it just completely shuts you off and bolsters me. Like, I'm doubling my mana while you're having to tap yours for an entire so turn before you can use it again. What would you rather see on the board across from you? Consecrated Sphinx or Vorinclay? I would consecrated, yeah, consecrated Sphinx, Sphinx. Sphinx all day. I so. would I would rather Vorinclay, see Sphinx over Vorinclex. actually affects how I can play the game. Yeah, 100%. Con Sphinx, yes, it is a threat because of card advantage, but Vorinclex is just straight gas. Well, the right. other thing, too, like, let's talk about Con Sphinx for a split second here, like... If you're only drawing the card during your draw step, if you draw no other cards for that turn, well, okay, they got to draw two cards. But if Varenklax is out, like, it's a whole other ballgame. You know what I mean? Like, he, Did they cast is, any spells? Exactly. Then you've gained advantage. Yeah, exactly. Like, so I could see Varenklax going in above Con Sphinx. You know, I, people alter their whole game plans around the Vorinclex. Yeah. Because, you know, like, yeah. I'm like, oh, here's a Vorinclex. And they're like, oh, in response to that, I'm going to do this and this and try and do this. Yeah, and, man. Like, it forces know. people's hand for sure. Not only at that point while it's on the stack resolving, but even from then on out, like we talked about earlier. Like, uh, do Commit I the want resources. To, do I want to, like, maybe try and jam out my four-drop creature that's going to get me? Or do I need to hold this mana because I have to be able to, like, do something when the time comes? You know, you I want to cast I mean? my just, commander or I want to... Uh, you know, I need to yeah. get this or so, that. Well, it's yeah. not only that, even. It's one of those cards that unifies the other three against yeah. that one player. <laughs> yeah, like, for sure. Yep, for sure. What I, are we going to do to take care of that Warren Clax that JB has? Like, yeah. But like, so, so, Adam, if I'm sitting across the table and I've got a Warren Clax and a Consecrated Sphinx and you've got one removal spell, which one are you hitting? Oh, I'm hitting the Warren Clax. I mean... Yeah. From the guy who made it, Con Sphinx his number one card. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, me personally, uh, me, I'm yeah. a blue player. That's why it's my number one card. That's fair. Like but. I think, with Consecrated Sphinx, you're drawing a lot of cards. If potentially, people, if people let it stick around, you're potentially drawing a lot of cards. But if Vorinclex is out, okay, you have a bunch of cards. Like, but you don't get to untap your mana, so you yeah, don't it's not get even to like play those play them, cards. Yeah. You know? yeah, I think I think for sure Vorinclex is number four. Yeah, I agree. Vorinclex slides in at number four. I, I like do, it. however, think Consecrated Sphinx is better than Nulamog. I agree. I don't know, man. The, the, the biggest reason why I like the Ulamog is because it's a big dude. It can block. It can attack. It's got the exile in people's library, so it's getting rid of... Whatever's in yeah, their library, it's got two permanent and removal it's on the cast. removal on cast. Like and that's what makes it good, in my opinion, is yeah. the removing two permanents when you cast it. Like, yeah, that's what makes it good for me. I I would take Nulamog over Consecrated Sphinx only because I can get rid of a Consecrated Sphinx with Nulamog. Like, yeah, and because of just the sheer ability to end a game. I would I would pick, uh, you know, Ulamog the Ceaseless Hunger over Consecrated Sphinx. That that I mean that's we why. don't have a tiebreaker here, so I don't know. I'm I'm now that you guys are saying that I'm kind of leading towards Ulamog mm -hmm. as well. Well, I mean, like he, the Consecrated Sphinx draws you a bunch of cards, and then I attack JB with my Ulamog, and I'm exiling twenty more cards from you. Like, how many cards can you draw? 
before you deck out because I'm just going to keep targeting you with the exile 20 cards because I already know that you're drawing tons of cards for advantage. I w- okay, so let's put it like this. The strength of Consecrated Sphinx is directly tied to the strength of your deck. Yep. The strength of Ulamog is just the strength of Ulamog. Yep. Like, Ulamog, like, obviously in a vacuum, just flat better. But yeah. I could jam an Ulamog into a deck that has, uh, like, not very good card choices and be like, okay, I can still win this game with Ulamog. Whereas if you do the exact same situation with a Consecrated Sphinx, the Sphinx is going to draw you the cards. If they're not that great, then what do you get? Yeah, you get you spent exactly. six mana to burn through more of your deck. Yeah. Which is, like I said, directly tied to the strength of the deck overall. Ulamog in any deck is a power a powerhouse. That's that is my reasoning. I would say. I actually I actually agree with those points. I am going to change my answer to Ulamog. Yeah, I do think Ulamog would be better at number. Five. I was also captain of the debate team, so come <laughs> at me. <laughs> it's a real tough one. I it mean, is tough. It is tough. I mean, like I said earlier, card advantage is the name of the game, but Con Sphinx is dependent on things. Where whereas Ulamog is simply dependent on do you have ten mana? You know what I mean? Like so, Con Sphinx at you know, if ever if everybody's only drawing at their draw step, then yeah, you're gonna draw six cards in the go around. Mm-hmm. But I mean, again, if they're not that good of cards, I mean, you could draw six lands. It's very it's it's I very have dependent. drawn six lands. Yeah. Like it is it is Cried. very dependent. Whereas Ulamog is okay. Yeah, I'm going to cast this. I'm going to exile two of your things for two mana, which is pretty good. I mean, think of scour for for. Think of Scour from Existence. Seven That's mana. seven colorless mana to just exile one permanent. For the extra three mana, you get a dude that's indestructible that exiles your and library. And a 10 And an extra permanent to be exiled. I'm going to go with Ulamog for number five. Yeah. You guys have swayed my opinion for sure. All right, let's go. Silver Bullet, Adam. You got you to gotta talk me into accepting Con Sphinx. I am open. Go ahead. <laughs> I mean, me personally, I... I'd cut Ulamog before I'd cut a Consecrated Sphinx, but that's just because I'm a blue mage and the card advantage is strictly what goes into my deck. Whatever gets me more card advantage is what's going to help me win the game. But it's because you have faith in your deck to produce the answers I mean, that you yeah, need. Granted, yeah, granted, yeah. yeah. Um, I'll give, I'll, but I, I can would, see why Adam puts yeah. his faith in his decks. He is a very good deck builder. He does have a lot of value. Like every card has a purpose, so I can see why you're picking. I do 100 percent see why you're picking Con Sphinx. Like the stuff that we're saying about, you know, you could draw the six lands. I mean, a mana screw happens to everybody, but I think in your case, because of your deck building skills, yeah, you, the odds are in your favor for you drawing yeah. good stuff. And I'm not knocking Ulamog. Ulamog is a really good creature, but he only has place on one of my decks because of I know for sure I'm going to be able to cast him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or like, I would say too, like, what about like, uh, for people who might not be really good deck builders, like, I think that Ulamog would be better to go in their deck. You know, yeah. because it's colorless, they can put like, it in any one of their decks, and it's gonna it's at least bomb. give them yeah. like the you know. removal and all that. Versus their deck, they might not be a good enough deck builder, or just have access to the rest of the cards that are gonna exactly. make your deck good. If you if you would take a stock deck. 
and jam an Ulamog in there. It Ulamog will function as intended all the time, every time. Yep. You know, whereas if you take a stock deck and throw in Consecrated Sphinx, I don't think you get the same depth of result. Yeah, not every could. time. Yeah, for yeah. sure. You'll have the, games where absolutely. you're going to draw gas off of it, but you'll have games where you're going to draw ass off of it. You yeah. know what I mean? So, yeah, for sure. Just the, I think the consistency is what sways me. Yeah, but. that's a good, yeah, I agree. I would agree. So yeah. final verdict, what do we think? I oh, mean, go ahead. If you have one more point, yeah, please. I mean, yeah, if we're looking at in that vacuum, yes, you are correct. Um, the If you're just going to put both of them in a stock deck, the new Lamog is going to win simply because both of them are stocked and uh, honestly, just like a stock deck is not as good as yeah, somebody who's yeah. been working on it yeah, and stuff for sure. like that. And that's not a, a knock on anybody using stock decks. Um, the the only thing that I just don't like about Nulamog is the fact that you have to have the 10 mana. Yeah. If you don't have the ma- 10 mana, it is a big dude sitting in your hand. What happens when you draw that turn one? Which I know you oh, guys that's, have done. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it feels bad. It feels you, bad. But... You elvish piper. Yeah, how about it? <laughs> but then <laughs> you don't get the cash trigger, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah you, you don't get the cash trigger. You you don't get point. the removal. So, yeah. No, I get that. I get that. Well, like, here, what, like, if you have consecrated things on board what is the main things you're trying to draw into like what are the cards that you want to get into your hand off of those draws counter spells counter spells yeah i mean pretty much any sort of advantage counter spells removal let's go let's go with my is deck for instance or even crew fix because that's what more custom you guys are seeing with uh, consecrated things those are counter spells cyclonic rift uh stroke of genius which draws me more cards um uh, K grip to blow up one of your enchantments. That's giving me giving me uh, some problems. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a litany of things. Like, would yeah. you yeah. say though that a lot of the times you're trying to find some type of removal off of the Sphinx draws? I don't even know that. And correct me if I'm wrong. I don't even know that Adam necessarily uses consecrated Sphinx to search for anything specific. It's just the simple fact that he's going to get that stuff in his hand just by you know, having that trigger. Mm-hmm. But we do have to keep in mind that we are looking at these creatures in a vacuum. I know we have talked oh, yeah. a lot about what they do in certain decks and things like that, but like, I think in a vacuum, yeah, Ulamog's the better creature. Yeah, I mean, you guys, you guys outvote me. I, I, don't, I don't see the, the... Seeing in the same vacuum, I... I still pick the card advantage. Card yeah. advantage is key in EDH. Well, if you don't have the tutors, you still have you you run the card advantage in order to get your the stuff that you need. Yeah, yeah. I d- I can definitely see consecrated sphinx if if you are a, a seasoned player and your decks are where you want them to be, that you could definitely run that over Ulamog. But for like the majority of people who might not be like fine-tuned players yet that the ulamog is gonna improve their decks yeah yeah well it's not only that like well, okay well, if you're talking about the seasoned players and the unseasoned players new Lamog is like 30 dollars consecrated sphinx is 15 to 20. i think new i think new actually is also 15 to 20. i don't think he's quite that expensive he he dropped since the pioneer i i don't know i got i know i did not pay that for mine let me put it that but way. even at that i would say i got my new Lamont for 10 if months. you're a newer player 
you really have to commit to building a blue theme deck yeah, he's to, to is fit this really? Wow, cool. Versus the Ulamog, <laughs> if you're a newer player, even if it is thirty dollars versus fifteen, that thirty dollars you can put in any deck you build. Versus, you know, you really you gotta, have to you have gotta commit to the blue. Deck. Yeah, for yeah, the, for sure. For the Sphinx, for so. sure. I mean, yeah. but I think we've deliberated we on it all night. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, yeah. so we agree. I'll yield back my Sphinx time. sucks. Uh, worst card EDH. Uh, Nulo Mog blows it out of water. All right. So yeah. So, yeah. so for the honorable mention, for sure, consecrated Sphinx. It gets the, the participation list. award. Yeah. Are you happy with that, Adam? <laughs> sure. Gets the participation trophy. No, that's the wussification of America. <laughs> All right, thanks for hanging in there with us, guys, till the end while we deliberated our top five lists. Um, obviously, we were not able to cover everything, and I'm sure you guys have different thoughts out there, so please let us know what you're thinking on the Facebook page, on the Instagram, stuff like that. Um, I'm going to, yep, uh, thank you again to the Comics or the comics Vault for allowing us to do this stuff every week. We love it. Thank you, Neil. And I'm going to hand it over to Dale to give out our passphrase for the giveaway. All right, so as you all know, I've, I've been trying to hype it up on the channel. We're giving away a booster box of Modern Horizons. So uh, for that giveaway, the keyword is going to be Squirrel Nest. So you can either DM the Commander's Vault on Instagram with the key phrase and then give us your thoughts on what is going to be in the uh, Commander's Green uh, product that's coming out next year um, yeah and that'll get you entered in you can either DM that to the Instagram page or you can send an email to uh, the commanders vault at gmail.com if you don't have Instagram and you're listening to this or you don't have Facebook or whatever just send an email and I'll get that and you'll get entered in too and uh, on top of that I think one of the things that uh, Dale and I have been more excited for is this December is uh, Command Fest DC. I uh, believe what's the date on that? Uh, the fifteenth, I want to say. Like it's that. the thirteenth, fourteenth, and fifteenth. Yeah, okay. so, yeah, yeah. I had requested off work for it, but then I I just can't go. So yeah, so uh, you know, Dale and I. Uh, that's uh, MTG Survivalist uh, on Instagram and uh, CDH Slave on Instagram. We're both going to be there. So if you uh, want to get some games in, we're definitely hype. Um, since listening to how well the Command Fests on the West Coast went and how just bomb they were to be at, uh, not to mention all the, the promos and jazz that you oh, get yeah. for uh, going. Um, if you're there, if you're going to be there, hit us up. Uh, we can probably, you know, sling some cardboard around. Um, and definitely, again, thank you, Neil, for everything. Uh, I think that's everything we got for tonight. Yeah, yeah? for yeah. sure. All right, you guys have a good night. Have a good one. Cheers.